Hi everyone, Jared Malinchek here from Eugene Christian School, coming to you on Tuesday, October 8th for our latest and greatest edition of the ECS podcast. I'm joined today by our Dean of Students, Mr. Jesse Whitaker. How are you today, my man? I'm doing great, thanks. How about you? I'm doing all right. I'm glad we get to sit back down here and interact in this way. I love it. Yeah. Last time we were on the podcast, it was about a month ago, and we were talking about the investment in education, and it's been a great start to the school year so far and seeing that investment pay off for so many kids. I agree. So we're back here today as we're looking at our podcast series and picking particular topics. We hope that you'll find A, interesting and B, helpful in your own life as we on the educational side have discussed them at length uh, here and there. So let's give the backstory for today's podcast. We're going to be talking about boys. And for some of you, it could be boys with an S or boys with a Z. Uh, but even more broadly than that, it's connection to boys, connection to education, and the roles that we play as parents, educators, and the community at large. Right. But here's the thing, that even if listeners, if you only have daughters like I do, still, don't, don't turn us off right now, because this is really valuable information anyway. That's right. There's a lot of complexities to the topic, and we hope to at least dive into some of them today on the podcast. And again, any feedback you have, any comments about the conversation today, feel free to shoot us a note, stop in the office, and we'd love to hear your thoughts and your experiences, especially uh, on the topics we're going to share. Yeah. So, you know, a couple months ago, Mr. M, you said, hey, we should look into how best to educate boys, you know, and uh, you've got one. You've got two, actually. Yeah. Uh, one here at the school, and uh, and you found a resource, a book called Boys Adrift by Dr. Leonard Sachs that you said, Mr. W., we should read this. And I got to say, it's probably been the most impactful professional development book that I've read in a long time. So I'm glad you brought up the topic of want to talk about boys, and I'm glad you brought up this resource in particular. And I'm excited to, to, to flesh it out a little bit with you here uh, on the podcast. That's great. Yeah. So again, the, the book plug there, Boys Adrift by Dr. Leonard Sachs. And we're going to be highlighting some of the major themes from the book. Uh, the, really, the book, the subtitle is The Five Factors Driving the Growth Epidemic of Unmotivated Boys and Underachieving Young Men. Yeah. So even those of you listening that maybe have you know the span of kids in elementary school all the way to college, I think you'll definitely see some life experience matching this book. And one final plug here, the book does a great job summarizing research without sticking your nose in it. I think there's 400 and some you know, reviewed articles that he refers to in the book. Mm -hmm. Some of them he was involved with himself, and then he's also clinically practicing, so he's seen many of these things firsthand. That's right. So let's go ahead and jump in, shall we? The, yeah. There's five major topics in this book, and we're going to kind of zone in on the educational ones because right. I think that's kind of our lane, so to speak, and our own experiences as relate to education. So let's actually set the preface of the book a little bit so parents are aware of kind of where we're going. This is actually the very beginning of the book. Dr. Sachs starts with what he calls the riddle. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with our listeners uh, what he sets up here. So he says, uh, I, I didn't know what to say. I just finished speaking to a parents group in Calgary, Alberta, that is. The talk about the subtleties of difference between how girls and boys learn, how they play, how they're motivated, um, <laughs> girls and boys learn, all these things, how they've gone well. I've been doing these talks for parent groups and for schools since 2001. I'm pretty comfortable with the format. The presentation is the easy part. The questions afterward are more difficult. Dr. Sachs, my son Billy is very bright, one father said. We've had him tested twice, and both times his overall IQ has been in the 130 range, but he has just no motivation to learn. Somebody right now just said, that sounds familiar. <laughs> you don't have to raise your hand on the podcast, we promise. You're in your car. You keep your hands on the wheel. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Keep driving. What do you mean? I asked. I mean that he doesn't do his homework and he won't study for tests. 
He doesn't seem to care whether he gets an A or a C or an F. <laughs> How old is he? I asked. Sixth grade. Um, what does he like to do in his spare time? I asked. Actually, Billy loves to read. Science fiction, mostly. He just refuses to read the books the school assigns. I don't know why he seems to hate school so much. It's a good school. Which school does he attend? I asked. Dad named a local private school. Hey, no jabs here, right? <laughs> Dad named a local private school that I knew was regarded as one of the best in the city. Class sizes at that school are small. The teachers are well-trained and highly regarded. Stall for time. Have you spoken with anyone at the school? I asked. He nodded. The school counselor thinks Billy might have ADD or ADHD, some of you are familiar with, but I just don't buy that. How could he have ADHD? He can quote whole passages from the Lord of the Rings. He's even memorized some of the poems in Elvish. That doesn't sound to me like a boy who has ADHD. Billy loves to read. He just doesn't like school. Hmm. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Yeah. While I hesitated, a woman spoke up. My son's in a similar predicament, but he's younger, second grade. Outside of school, my Jason is sweet as an angel. But he's been sent to the principal's office several times now for hitting other kids. Each time, he says he was just playing. He's never actually hurt anybody, but the teachers say they have to refer to any child, refer any child who hits another child, that is. Referral to a specialist is mandatory after three episodes. So now they're saying that I have to have Jason evaluated. I wanted to point out that Jason's predicament wasn't in any way similar to Billy's situation. That's a good point, by the way. Mm -hmm. Billy hasn't been hitting anybody, but he seems to lack the motivation to succeed at school. Jason's problems seem to be behavioral, not motivational. But I knew better than to say that. I just didn't know what to say, so I turned the tables. I asked the parents a question of my own. How many of you are in a similar situation? You have a son who's having problems at school or some kind of issues at school, but it's not clear why. About half the parents raised their hands. <laughs> I'd like to learn from you then. Uh, what do you think is going, was going on at the school, that is? Do you have any thoughts as to why your son is having a problem? Mm. So these are two pretty good setups. It's actually the very yep. beginning of the book. Yep. It got my interest right away. And I Definitely. thought from my experience as a teacher, your experience as well, on the administrative side now, I thought, yeah, I've seen this a time or two. Uh, yep. So let's jump in on the educational side, and, and obviously there's a lot more than we can discuss in this podcast. Let's talk about the role of education. So I identified a few things from reading through this book, and I even shared some of this with our teachers back in August. One of the issues that he starts with is talking about kindergarten, ironically. Mm -hmm. And uh, to summarize for the podcast, one of his main points is that today's kindergarten, especially in the United States, has become a lot more like yesterday's first grade. Yeah. And what do you think he means by that? I think specifically what he's getting at is that it's become very, very academically focused. Yep. And the words rigor and parents wanting challenge kind of get garbled up there. We're not really sure what to make of it. But the bottom line is what the expectations were a generation two or three ago was for particularly early learning of preschool to kindergarten and even the first grade to be more play-based. Yep. You come to school, you socialize, you're, you touch things, hopefully not shoving kids all over the place. We can talk about that later. But then nowadays we want to stick, uh, for lack of a better phrase, a nose in kids' book, uh, kids' noses in a book, that yep. is. And we want to get them to read, 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 do math, do yep. math, do math. Sit, 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 sit. And sit, 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 sit. That's mm -hmm. right. And we know from the development of boys, and I think Dr. Sachs does a good job of this, so let's just summarize and say this. His argument is, if you look at development, even up to puberty, that a boy at that age, around age five, age six, his brain, for a lot of other reasons we won't explain here, is really at about where a girl's brain might be when she's, you know, at a younger age, 
she can maybe handle at three, three or four what a boy can maybe handle at age five or six. Right, and he well, goes on to talk about the gift of a year, and not saying we don't want to enroll boys in our kindergarten. That's right. But he talks about what a difference a year can even make if a family chooses to enroll their, their son in school at maybe six or seven. That's right. So there are some connected issues we're about to get into, but I'll plug one country. Finland gets a lot of airtime. For those of you that are into data analysis and kind of nerdy things like that, Finland's picked on a lot because it has great international testing results and usually blows the United States out of the water. Yeah. People like test scores. And if I don't remember from the book, if you don't recall, they start school compulsory school at age seven. Yep. So there is no preschool. There is no, I mean, people can obviously drop their kids off at some kind of early learning. But there's no compulsory school until age seven. Right. And his argument, Dr. Sachs, says the reason why that works for them on one hand is because when the boys get to age seven, their brains are now more developed where the differences between boys and girls are not that drastic anymore. Right. But at age five, very drastic. Yeah. For so sure. now all you kindergarten uh, families that are listening, <laughs> please don't come pull your boys up right now. Let's talk some more. <laughs> but we're just putting that out there. Yeah. We'll keep listening to the rest of the podcast. Yeah. So why is it a big deal? Uh Actually, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Why is it a big deal that kindergarten and first uh, yesterday's first grade is now kind of what we're trying to do in kindergarten? Why is that a big deal? Well, there's more things about boys we need to learn right. before we can kind of hammer down on maybe the big issue that comes out of this. Yes. So one of them is just, let's keep it simple, use the KISS acronym here, kids and boys, especially girls too. I have girls, you have girls, mm-hmm. love hands-on stuff. Yep. So what happens, uh, you've seen it, what happens in the kindergarten classroom when we remove the hands-on? What, well, what do you end up seeing? Well, they're going to put their hands on something, <laughs> you know? And uh, if they don't have something constructive to put their hands on and to manipulate and to dig into and to work with, I mean, their hands are going to go somewhere anyway. And so that's when you see them going to maybe places that they're not supposed to. Or their bodies just, um, you know, automatically um, being active, being physical, moving around when they're supposed to be seated and things like that. That's right. Yeah. He mentioned, Dr. Sachs, in the book that there's been a big shift where now it's not just the development of, of the puberty issue and the age of the boys and their brain development, but also on the, just the type of knowledge that we're trying to instill in them. So you can, to use really you know, terms that you and I might be familiar with, there's sort of you know, book smarts and street smarts, so to speak. So in this case, it might be book smarts and just real life hands-on kind of smarts. And he's arguing, especially for boys, they need more hands in the dirt, literally yeah. hands yeah. in the dirt playing in the sandbox, uh, communicating while they're playing and building those skills. And they can still learn that way. Right. But just extrapolating things out of a worksheet, out of a book, is just not a skill they have in their wheelhouse. Yeah, and it's not any fault of their own. They just haven't developed the capacity for it yet. That's right. And it continues to, to grow and develop in small increments as they get older. That's right. One other major, again, we're just hitting on big themes here. There's a lot more we could dive into. One other big theme on his chapter on the educational side for boys adrift, if you will, is that we have sometimes because of the academic emphasis, there's this issue of competition and challenge. So there's a great little story, I won't go to it right now, in the book where he references the idea of the snowball fight. And I'm sure you remember the story too. When, of course, this was a generation or two ago for Dr. Sachs, but when he was in school, he grew up in the Midwest, if I remember right from the book, mm-hmm. uh, snowball fights were pretty common. And uh, he's learned, whether it's you know play, play fighting with guns, snowball fights, there's a lot of bans that schools have on things that boys traditionally have just done. Yeah. So tell me, I know you remember this from the book, he used the story of the snowball fight and talked about giving schools the idea instead of just banning things that tend to be competitive, you might say masculine. I know that draws up a lot of interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. Things where boys like to get their juices going and like to be involved. 
What did you learn about the snowball story that you thought was interesting? Well, it's great. He used the idea of inbounds versus out-of-bounds activity where, um, you know, kind of calibrating what is okay and what is not okay for boys. And so uh, what happened in the snowball fight was rather than just ban this activity that many of them were happily engaged in, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they created a space where that they could go and engage in a snowball fight that if you that was set apart from the rest of the play area that um if someone didn't want to be involved in a snowball fight or get hit with a snowball that they would be you know out of out of the range of getting hit so what they did was it created a way to make that acceptable boy behavior fit into the system um and, and identified that it's normal i mean you just addressed you know competition or masculinity another word that has really just become taboo but that it's so important for boys is the mm -hmm. idea of aggression mm -hmm. or uh, to be aggressive you know boys are just kind of that way but it's become really taboo in our in our current culture and society to be aggressive but if if there are an if there are opportunities presented to provide us space and time for boys to have a constructive outlet um, for competition, masculinity, and aggress aggression, um, then it can be really helpful for them. Uh, so for us, that means creating yeah. inbounds and out-of-bounds activities and places that's and great. times. That's great. That. Yeah. So that's, I think that's even a really effective parenting tip as well. So yes, you can you can wrestle, you can do this, you can be wild and crazy, but this is inbounds, this is out-of-bounds. Yeah. And that way you're not just putting a, a, a damper on the activity and saying you can't do this, we're banning it. It allows them that that creative spirit to be competitive and have a good time. And then they learn discernment of, That's you know, right. when can I do which kind of behaviors and activities and how do I, you know, differentiate between one space and another space That's as right. they begin to generalize those concepts of, you know, and what I can do when and where. And two examples that on the ECS front, and we'll move on here, that come to mind. One is we allow permit a game called ball tag on our playground. Yeah. Ball tag, for those of you that are listening, is... Don't overcomplicate it. You grab a ball. You have a group of buddies, girls and boys, play this game, which I love. Mm -hmm. And they try to chuck that ball at them to hit them. Yeah. And if you get hit, you're you're it. You're tagged. And you've got to go pick the ball up and find another buddy and th throw that ball at them. Yeah. But again, we put parameters around, okay, we're not taking headshots with ball tag. Now, we know that that happens because that's the nature of playing a game. But we have to put in you know out-of-bounds language so the kids understand. Yeah. Second thing that you've done really well, uh, I just want to point out to you, is our Nerf gun um, after-school battles that we put together. Yeah. Uh, giving students, again, this competitive outlet. Boys and girls show up to this. Mm -hmm. And they actually work really hard to keep the games going and get them organized, to clean up their mess. Yep. It's amazing when you think about all that. Yep. And you've done a nice job tapping in that, that as well in terms of that competitive juice yeah. that so many of our kids feel. Yeah, thanks. So I know you want to share a little quote on this because we want to uh, end one last thing on this this chapter in this book about education. Uh, and I, I want you to go ahead and just kind of land your quote there and we'll kind of talk about it yeah. after you're done. Um, Sachs says, uh, a growing proportion of boys are disengaging from school. More and more of them will tell you that school is a bore, a waste of time they endure each day until the final bell rings. Hmm. As far as that boy is concerned, his real life, the life he cares about, only begins each day when the final bell rings, <laughs> allowing him wow. finally to leave school and do something he really cares about. What he really cares about may be playing video games, hanging out with his friends, or even doing drugs or alcohol. Yeah. It could be anything at all except for school or anything connected with school. Even adult males that are listening to this right now might resonate with much or all of that, for sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you read that because we have to ask, well, why is that? Why One, if that's true, but let's say it's even partially true or true for a portion. So let's talk about self-esteem and why this is so significant for boys. 
Yeah. And you and I have interesting views, I believe, into this school community that we get to see self-esteem. But uh, if we spin back to the idea of kindergarten being like yesterday's first grade, what ends up happening that's really critical, Dr. Sachs says, or not my words, these are his words, paraphrasing, of course, is that boys learn right away that they're not good. Yep. <laughs> He's arguing that boys learn right away that I can't sit still, at least very well, or very long. I'm really not that great at investigating knowledge in this kind of way. I'm really good at this other kind of knowledge, mm -hmm. like experiential kind of knowledge. And so what do you think, you, kind of going on with Dr. Sachs, what do you think happens with that attitude at yeah. a very young age? It, it just creates a mindset of, you know, predicting for the future that I'm not going to be good. Like, I'm not good right now. And the teachers commented that I'm not good, met with my parents, met with the counselor. And then, therefore, if I'm not good at sitting or I'm not good at reading in kindergarten, mm. then I'm, I'm going to hate sitting and reading for first grade and second grade and third grade. And it just kind of creates a, 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 a continuous pattern of a problem that comes up where, you know, their first interaction with education is negative of what they're not good at, when the reality is, is they may not necessarily have the capacity to follow through with what they're being asked to do. That's right. Yeah. That's such a, uh, that's such an important point. It's, I know it's true in the, on the home front as well, but in the educational side, kids learn right away. You know, we joke as a staff you know, here at Eugene Christian that there's these, you know, blessedness, kind of like the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who uh, sit still and listen to the teacher. Woe be to you who do not sit still because you're going to be in trouble, Yeah. right, at one way or another. Yeah. Woe be to you who needs that creative outlet to go and be competitive and run around. Blessed are those of you that can be tame and under control. So you're right. There is this kind of this scarlet letter, if you will, that kind of comes on boys, and they might just have it in the back of their head, and they never feel that they're accomplished, Yeah. that they're really amounting to anything. And they, they don't have the ability to generalize that it's their lack of capacity to even follow through with what they're being asked to do, what they often perceive then is, well, this teacher hates me. Yeah. So then, therefore, all teachers hate me. Yeah. And so then I'm not going to like teachers. So then I hate teachers. I hate school. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's make one. There's so much in this book that we could talk about. Uh, let's summarize a few other things, and we'll come back to the educational side before we, we sign off for today. Video games. There's a whole chapter on video games. It's fascinating. So we'll kind of leave that out there. I might even do another podcast just yeah. on video games. Yeah. But let's give one plug why the chapter is there. Maybe it's just Captain Obvious, but for those that's not Captain Obvious, are the things we just talked about, tell us from your, your summary of what Dr. Sachs said, uh, why do you think, what, do you, what do you think boys find of all ages, young to adult males, what do they find in video games that they can't find in, quote, real life? Yeah, Dr. Sachs calls it the desire to power. Where you can compete, you have realistic odds of actually winning the competition. You can you have control, um, and you can have achievement, regardless of what your physical stature or skill level might be. You know, for boys, a lot of it is if they don't have a physical outlet for competition because say they're not big enough, good enough, strong enough, fast enough to be on a football, baseball, basketball, soccer yeah, team. Right. They can find that same stimulation and satisfaction inside by competing in video games. Um, and he would even argue, that's that's well said, he would argue, too, that also stems from school. Yep. Because if you don't get the sticker chart or the prize box or whatever the system is, because you're not you're just not with it as a kindergartner, first grader, or second grader, you can find a creative outlet when you... Because boys like to beat each other at video games. Yep. Go figure. Yep. What do they do online? I mean, there's this whole, even from you and I, and we grew up with not having online or virtual games. Yeah. You'd have a buddy come over to your house, but right. now we're just, what, playing in living rooms 
yep. people all over the world. And they're still competing. They still <laughs> want to beat each other. And they get that creative juice going. Yep. And there's a whole other conversation about, you know, what it does the health of the boys. And they're just, and that's a different, different topic. Right. So uh, one last thing I know you wanted to mention, and maybe you want to read a little something to us. There's one chapter which I think is profound, even though Dr. Sachs doesn't write from the Christian context. I love reading the research and the literature, what's out there. This is, I think, is a huge problem in Christian education and in, in larger education. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's public or private, about male role models. Yeah. So he has a whole chapter. I, th- I think it's entitled something around lack of male role models. Yeah. So read us a little something from that you think would be helpful for parents to consider. Yeah, it's just, sh- it's just a short quote, but he says, To be a man, a boy must see a man. A boy does not naturally become a gentleman, by which I mean a man who is courteous, kind, and unselfish. That behavior is not hardwired. It has to be taught. That's awesome. So taught, we all have a responsibility, those listening to the podcast and uh, yours truly here in the office, our whole team at ECS, we all, we're all in this together. So modeling, especially for males, so again, there is a role, I know we can get rabbit trail on you know the mom, dad's role and those kinds of things, but just males for a second. Males can model things for boys that women cannot model for them. Now, in some cases, that's just not even possible in the family structure. Maybe dad's not around. But in most cases, the males are going to provide some level of, of role model leadership for the child that they really need. Yeah. So what are some practical things that you might suggest uh, in regarding a male role model? Yeah, well, you know, the first thing my mind goes to the Dallas Willard quote where he was asked, how do you <laughs> disciple a nine-year-old boy? Yeah. I said, have him follow you around. You know, so That's just right. provide opportunities for the boys to be around males. And it's hard in school settings because, man, what would you say is the percentage yeah. of staff in elementary schools, not only our elementary school here yeah. at ECS, but just elementary schools as a whole, what percentage of staff in elementary school are females, you think? Yeah, I think the percentage, depending on what research you're looking at, is in the either 88 to 93 percentile. Yeah. All our, our female staff in elementary schools in the United States. So that means our boys in elementary schools, that where they spend six and a half, seven hours a day, yeah. are only, for the most part, and at ECS, seeing female staff, uh, unless they're in trouble, and then who they're interacting with at the office is a male, which is... Yeah. A whole other can of That's right, yeah. But um, so then, because of that, yeah. we need exposure to males. So, you know, a recommendation would be um, hang out with dad, follow dad around, yeah. be a part of, you know, sports teams that yeah. have, you know, coaches that maybe are males. Yeah. Or, or other male role um, model figures, uh, maybe the mom or somebody else is determined would be good ones. Yep. And yeah. then, you know, seek out opportunities at church to be around, you That's know, men right. that are doing male things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I know when we're saying things like male things, male this and male that, I know we're pigeonholing ourselves into these sort of categories just for the sake of the conversation. Reality is, uh, let's kind of end here with some recommendations. This applies to males as well. And also to female teachers, whether it's in the classroom setting or females in terms on the home front. Yeah. So specifically what we all can do to combat, if there is an issue with boys going adrift, Throughout the educational system, and it starts young, there's this lack of, of self-esteem, and it kind of just rolls forward. Things that we can practically do, we hinted at a couple of them. Number one, I'm just going to throw in and, and bounce off some ideas. Number one is to provide things that are competitive for all kids, especially boys. Yeah. Uh, I was giving a story to the staff just quickly that when I grew up, I loved playing flashcards in school, the math flashcards. And my teacher... This, you know, back then was allowed me as I love playing this game 
to because I was so competitive, I never wanted to lose at a stupid math game, right? <laughs> but my teacher, female teacher, allowed me to go to other classrooms, other grade levels to compete against those kids. Which, when you're eight or nine years old, you're thinking this is like the coolest thing ever. Yep. Look at me walking down the hallway. It just motivated me and actually stirred a love for math because I had somebody, namely a female teacher, that said, "Wow, you're really good at math." And so, some level of competition, even in the school environment. It's okay to have winners and to have losers. Yeah. As long as, generally speaking, the games are set with realistic expectations. We're not stacking the deck, right? so to speak. So that's my big entry here is that we make sure that we redeem competition. Yeah. It's good for the soul as long as we're not just blessing one crowd all the time and right. shaming another. Right. And that works really well in the classroom. And then for me, you know, kind of on the playground or outside is identifying inbounds versus out-of-bounds activities and behaviors. And then how to set those up in a way um, that will work well in our setting. You know, maybe creating a distinct space on the playground for a certain activity um, that boys can do um, the way that they want to do without feeling like it's going to infringe on the safety or participation of someone else's game somewhere else. That's right. Yeah. And I think we all, I know there's more specific educational things we could describe here, but we all have the uh, capacity to affirm boys specifically for the good work they're doing. Yeah. Traditionally speaking, not just here at Eugene Christian School, any school, if you look at referral data, especially at the elementary middle school level, uh, girls starting to take more of that uh, market share as they get older. But it's because they're so squirrely and crazy at times. They yep. do, we might say, stupid things. Yeah. We need to be a people, female and male, that encourage boys when they, we see them doing awesome things. Taking ownership, taking leadership. Or, hey, I love the way, even though you lost today, I love the way that you responded. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So we appreciate everybody hanging there and, and listening to this podcast on Boys Adrift by Dr. Sachs and some of our digestion of this material. There's much more to discuss with this topic. And again, I'd like to maybe come back to a part two if you're okay with that. Absolutely. Mr. Whitaker. And let's dive into the video game piece. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Video game thing is fascinating. And uh, I think that will definitely, for our listeners out there, they'll probably have some connection, whether it's their own children or somebody else that needs to hear this information. Right. If you're interested in reading the book, listeners, I highly encourage you to. Boys Adrift by Leonard Sachs, S-A-X. You can pick up a copy or download the audio book or the ebook. I just highly recommend it. Yeah. All right. For now, thanks again for listening to this edition of the Eugene Christian School podcast. We look forward to having you on, listening to the next episode, part two. And for now... Go encourage some boys, and let's think through how we can minister them through our everyday activities. Have a great day, everybody.